And the one people shall be stronger than the other. And the elder shall serve the younger. I want us to look at Malachi chapter number 1 and verse number 2. Of course, we saw the in Genesis 25, it's the story of the birth of Esau and Jacob. Look what God said about it in Malachi 1 verse 2. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau's Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now look in Romans 9. In verse number 13, Romans 9 and verse 13, the Bible says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name that you'd help us to preach your word. Got some hard truths today, Lord, to deal with. Might be going to make some people upset, but Lord, you've laid it on my heart to deal with it. And so I pray, God, that you'd help us to stand on the truth of your word. I pray, God, that you'd show us some biblical truths this morning and part to us wisdom. God, I pray that you'd move folks to an altar of repentance here in a little while. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You talk about a startling statement. Look at it. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now I got to thinking about that statement this week. If, and I thought about this. If God had a Facebook page and he posted this as his status, there'd be a lot of people that would get on there and lecture God about how unchristian it was to make this statement. And yet right here it is in black and white. God said, I hate Esau. (laughs) Oh, that's tough. I love Jacob, God said, but I hate Esau. Now, it caused me to wonder and to think about why it was that God said that he hated Esau. Well, if you'll study the lives of Jacob and Esau, and most everybody knows about Jacob, but Esau was a man who was never interested in anything spiritual. Uh, You'll find that he got a little hungry one day in the field and he sold his birthright. That was a big deal. That birthright was spiritual, see. It was something that was indicative of him leading the home both spiritually and financially and at a whim he sold it away. You'll find that Esau married the wrong people. He married carnally and uh, he, if you look, matter of fact, verses 34 and 35 of there in uh, Genesis 25, he married carnally. And uh, he married outside of his race, outside of the Jewish race, which uh, God had told him not to do. 
because he wanted to keep that bloodline of the Jew pure for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he had, he was a man that didn't care anything about spirituality. He was a carnal man. All he cared about was fulfilling his own lust of his own flesh. That's all he cared anything about. If there's one thing that God would teach us from this statement, it's that God hates carnality in his people. He hates it. I, don't, I didn't say he disliked it. I didn't say that he would rather us not do it. He didn't, I didn't say that he would prefer that we live right. I said God hates it. When, God, when his people live in carnality and in sin, God hates it. He detests it. He deplores it. And I'm telling you, we've got in a society these days that has soft-pedaled every sin in the world. Uh, the church has gotten soft on every sin. There's no longer preaching on sin. Uh, we live in sin. Uh, I'm telling you, we're in a mess in 2023 uh, because God hates carnality in His people. You know what we need? Some preaching on sin. I like what old Barney Fife said and he walked out that day, looked at the preacher and said, that's one subject you can't preach too much about, sin. Amen. I say, I say, amen, Barney. We need a little preaching on sin. But he hates, hates carnality. We take it very lightly in our day. We just move along through life and do whatever we want to do and act however we want to do. Act however we want to act. But God does not take it lightly. He hates it. It's not what I'm going to preach on. I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to. But he hates it. Hates it. But here's what I want you to think about for today's message. How is it that God manifested his love for Jacob? And how was it that he manifested his hatred for Esau? Let me give it to you right here. If you don't tune in for anything else, get this right here. God showed Jacob that he loved him by correcting him. You know how he showed Esau he hated him? By letting him go. God said, Jacob, I love you. And so if you'll study the life of Jacob, at every turn and at every circumstance, God was correcting Jacob. Esau, he said, Esau, I hate you. And so you know what Esau did? He lived a life however he wanted to live it. God never corrected him. God never stopped him. God just let him live however he wanted to live. I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my mind, I connect the blessings of God with the love of God. And when troubles come, Brother Josh, I say, why does God hate me? And that's the flesh. The flesh says, why don't God love me like he loves other people? Other people have got blessings. Other people have got money and they've got cars and they've got mansions. And I'm struggling along. Why does God love them and hate me? But the reality is, if God loves you, what does he do? He chastises you. And it's a hard truth. But I believe it's so pivotal to live in a life that's uh, uh, where you need to be with God to realize that, listen, love equals discipline. 
If you got a pen, you want to write something down that'll be good for you. I'm getting ready to give it to you. It's the soundbite moment of the message. It's this. Love equals discipline. Discipline equals freedom. Let me say that to you again because I want you to get it. Love equals discipline. Discipline equals freedom. Now the world's got that all backwards. They say love equals freedom. But you can't have freedom without having discipline. Real love is a disciplined love. I'm going to show it to you in the scriptures today. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter number 12. And I want to show you some verses. And I'm going to deal with some hard truths this morning. And you can either accept the word of God or you can thumb your nose at it. It'll be up to you. Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 6. Look what the Bible said. Hebrews 12 and verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chastiseth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastising, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chastiseth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. The word bastards there in Hebrews 12, 8, it's the only place in your entire King James Bible that that word is used. It means illegitimate. God is saying, if I don't whip you, you're not mine. That's the first point I want to make. I got three simple applications I want to make this this morning. The first one is that chastisement speaks to us in the area of possession. God does not, if God does not punish us, guess what? We're not His. That's as simple as the nose on your face. Let me put it to you this way. I want you to, I want everybody to understand. I'm just going to preach in real plain language today. I want you to understand this. If you can sin and get by with it, you ain't saved. You ain't never been saved. And you need to get saved. Amen, amen, and amen. The Bible said right here that if you're without chastisement, in other words, if God ain't whipping you, uh, then guess what? You ain't his young. And amen. I'm telling you, that needs to be preached from the rooftops. Uh, amen. On the radio, uh, on the internet, uh, any way that it can be preached. Uh, if you can live a sinful lifestyle uh, and you're never under conviction for it uh, and you never find yourself getting whipped for it, uh, you ain't saved. You can mark it down. Uh, you're going to bust hell wide open uh, if you can sin and get by. Everybody in here sins. I'm telling you, when I sin and go down to the woodshed, when I sin immediately, I feel like a dog about it. I feel like running my head up under something and hide. Now, I want to point out a few things about it. Why, why does God whip us for sin? I can remember when I... When, we, uh, when Trey was little, just like every other kid, you know, you try to teach them to stay away from the stove. Stove's hot. If you care about your youngin', you whoop it. That's what I said now. That's a Bible now. I'm telling you, we need uh, some discipline. 
And I've never been more satisfied of it than I am right now working the last two months in a public school. You talk to every teacher down there, they everyone wished they'd bring the paddlings back. And I'm telling you, there'd be some young'uns walking around with some sore hinder parts at the Michaelville Elementary School if some of them teachers was turned loose with a paddle. I believe it'd make better young'uns out of them too. Amen. He'd get around that stove. We'd say, don't get around that stove. Rachel, pop him with a wooden spoon. But like so many kids, one day he just had to find out, laid his hand up on there, uh, burn his hand. I'm telling you, never went back around the stove no more. You know why we was whooping him stay away from the stove? Because it's bad for him. We knew it'd be hard on him. We wanted him. That's the same way God is in our lives. He can see that sin's just going to lead to addiction. He can see that sin's going to lead to destruction. He can see that sin's just going to bring trouble. And so he whips us and tries to keep us away from it because he knows that it's bad for us in our life. Some of us are just like a bunch of spoiled brats. Come on now. Amen. Amen. Got a lip run out of God. Mm-hmm. We get mad at God and suddenly everybody, we're mad at everybody else. I know, everybody, I, know, I know everybody talking about me. Everybody running their mouth about me. Now, I know. I look at all them judgmental looks. That's conviction, honey. That's conviction. That's what conviction makes you do. You know, the Bible said, I brought it up this morning in my Sunday school class, the wicked fleeth when no man pursues. You know, up on Wilson boundary, uh, there's a lot of good fishing holes up there. And I live right up there on it. And son, I know every head shut and over the years, Brother Josh, I could have snuck up there and fished. I could have, but never have, never have, never have fished it when I wasn't supposed to be fishing it. You know why? I could, I could, and I could get away with it. Travis Bagwell, he's sharp. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody else. But I've lived up there my whole life, and I have the advantage of knowing when Travis is at work. <laughs> I could go up there if I wanted. I could. But I couldn't find no enjoyment in fishing looking over my shoulder. No. Couldn't find no enjoyment in that. There's a lot of people, that's how they live their whole life. They know they're living where they're not supposed to be living, and so they live their whole life looking over their shoulder and wondering who's talking about them, wondering who's running them down. I'm telling you that the cure for that is to get things right and live a life that's righteous and right, and all of a sudden don't have to worry about anything. Oh, people still talk about me. Sure they do. I'm telling you, if you're living where you need to be with God, you can look at that crap talking about you and say, talk on, talk on. I'm where I need to be with God. There ain't nothing you can do that'll upset me. I'm content with where God's got me right now. You see what we need is to realize that God brings chastisement into our life for our own good. You know what them Ten Commandments really are? They're really God saying, now don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. He knows what sin does in your life. You know what the Bible said in the book of Proverbs? I'm just preaching now. Some of y'all looking at me and I understand. I'm just going to preach anyway. God sent me up here. I'll just preach anyhow. Let me say this. Let me tell you what the Bible said. The Bible said in the book of Proverbs that the way of the transgressor is hard. How many of you would agree with that? You've seen it in your own life. You've seen it in the lives of others. It's a terrible life to live. Hey, have you ever looked at somebody and said, why in the world are they doing that? Why are they going that way? Why did they choose that route? It's so hard. 
I never have seen anybody got out of church. Called me a month later and said, Preacher, I'm telling you, I'm having the time of my life. Boy, it's good being out of church. I love being away from God. Oh, no, but everybody I ever knew of that got away from God was miserable and upset. And their lives was upside down. And it was a constant turmoil. And God was trying to get them back because he knew that that life is nothing but trouble. Nothing but trouble. You ever looked at them, Brother Billy? I got a saying you can ask my kids about, about why that is. I look at some people and I think, uh, why do they do that? Here's, and I'm, I'm about to help y'all something. Y'all ready? I'm about to help you something. Brother Josh, sometimes the problem is I get to thinking that people are about the same intelligence level as me. Now, I'm not saying I'm all that smart, but, you know, just a basic intelligence level. And then you see people do things and you're like, why are they doing that? Oh, that's right, they're stupid. They, they're just doing it out of, they just, they just don't realize any better. And so they're blundering into it. And boy, they go deeper and they go deeper. But you'd think at some point, no matter who it was at some point, but I'm telling you what happens is the devil pulls and the devil pulls and the devil pulls. And then before you know it, they're all into it. And they think, boy, if I come back, everybody look down on me. Nobody'd love me. And when the truth is, if they'd come running back to the Lord, everybody'd be happy and the Lord would be happy happy and everybody be hugging the neck and it'd be one big glorious time but the devil convinces people of other things am I preaching right but if you're his you'll not get by I'm going to tell you something these two still live at my house they're going to do what I say they either will or they'll pay for it Am I telling it right? That one don't live at my house no more. I guess technically I gave him away, but there's certain things if he did to this day, he'd come home on the Indian Trail and Daddy'd be sitting on his porch. You know what the blessing of it is, Summer? I can whoop him now and it ain't child abuse no more. It's just simple assault. Simple assault. That's nowhere near as serious as child abuse. Amen. It's a fair fight when he's 23 years old. Amen. And I'm telling you right now, there's certain things if he'd done them, I'd punch him right in the nose. You say, you hadn't ought to say that. That's exactly right. I'd whooped him too with a belt. I'd punch him in the nose over. But, you know what he'll do? He hardly ever makes a decision. He don't call me and ask, what do you think? Let me pick your brain. Let me think. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know why? Because over the years, me and him have earned a relationship. And you know why? Because he knows I may not be the smartest fella in the world, but I do have his best interest at heart. I have proved it to him again and again and again that I cared for him. And you know how I did that? Sometimes by whooping his hind end. That's a lot of times how I showed I loved him was by whooping him. And that's how God manifests his love toward us. It's hard to understand. But if he didn't love us, he would never whoop us. So it has to do with possession. When when we're his, he whoops us. And a lot of times we need it. 
A lot of times I need it. A lot of times you need it. Look what he said. Uh, give me verse 12, or verse 7 out of Hebrews 12. See that word endure? If you endure chastising, it comes from a, a Greek word that means to hold up under. <laughs> to not complain. So you get out in the world and away from God and He loads you down. That's how He whoops you. So He loads you down. Then, here's what the verse says. It says to endure it. In other words, you don't complain about it. You don't fuss about it. You don't bellyache about it. You don't complain about it. You endure it. Here's the proper reaction. You're right, Lord. I'm in a mess. I've done wrong. This is wrong. I, I, I hadn't ought to have done this. I'm telling you, I've been there. I've been there. Listen, I've been there where I lived in ways I hadn't ought to lived. Yesterday, I was riding down the road. I was thinking about Todd McKinn. I ain't sure Todd McKinn's ever done anything wrong. I believe since the day he got saved, he's just been walking on water ever since, just nearly. I know there's been things he's done wrong. That's just the kind of respect I have for him. There sure has been a lot I've done wrong. And the Lord laid on me. And I had a choice when he lays it on me. I can bellyache and complain and whine like a spoiled brat. Or I can say, this is right, Lord. This is right. Now, I'm going to show you another word. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? This is going to bless your heart. See, the first part of this message was tough, but we're getting better. He said, if you'll endure chastisement, God dealeth with you as sons. That word dealeth, it comes from a Greek word that means to walk toward in an effort to help. <laughs> so, if, 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 I, if I as a father have to lay something on Gabe, if he goes off in the corner and pouts, and oh, I ought to be better than this, then God don't deal with them like sons. But if he lays it on him, and he hears Gabe say, Father, I'm sorry. Father, I've messed up. Father, I shouldn't have done that. I didn't mean to break your heart, Father. That's enduring under it. And then it says, God dealeth with son. That means to walk toward in an effort to help. When we cry out under that, in, under that chastisement and say, Oh, God, I'm sorry. Then what God does is He moves in our direction. And He says, Let me help, son. Let me, let me, let me give you some schooling right here. Let me help you. Let me instruct you. I've told story after story about whipping young'uns. Trey, he was the, mm, go ahead and whip me guy. Gabe, he flops like a fish. Well, it looked like a dead person in the floor. You got to wrestle him and then whoop him. I tell you what I've always tried to do, Brother Allen, I, when I get done whooping them, I always try to set them down and say, now what do we do here? What was the cause of this? Let's talk about how to, how to fix this. Why did you have to get a whipping? We talked through it. Am I telling it right? We talked through it. I tried to explain 
And I'm going to say this. I've rarely had to whip my kids twice for the same thing. They almost always learn the lesson. Almost always. Some are more stubborn than others. But <laughs> When the Lord lays on you a chastisement, you got a choice. You can whine and complain about it. Just have him lay more heavy and more. I'm preaching to somebody. Or you can say, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. Lord, uh, I know you hate that carnality. I know you hate that sin in my life. I know you hate what I've been doing, Lord. And I'm sorry you've been whooping me, but I want to get it right today. I want to be right with you. Boy, the instant you say that, he starts towards you. lesson about possession let me give these other two just real quickly there's a lesson there's a lesson about perception you know if you looked at Jacob and Esau you'd have said Esau's blessed he had a bunch of wives he had a bunch of money he had a bunch of cattle he had a bunch of homes but God said I hate that I hate Esau This goes to show you can't always trust what you see. Not everybody that seems to be doing good is doing good. Not everybody that seems to be doing bad is really doing bad. You can't always trust what you see. Then lastly, I'm going to close this right here and give an altar call. There's a lesson about parenting. There's a lesson about parenting. Let me talk to the parents just a minute. Now, if there's anybody we ought to be able to learn to parent children from, it ought to be God. And you know what God said? God said, I'm going to show them youngins how I love them by being tough on them and correcting them and chastising them. If they're not mine and I hate them, I'll just let them go. Let me give you a few things that I've seen in parents I'm, I'm watching, I'm observing now the public school. I'm learning a few things. There's the consistent disciplinarian. That is the one that consistently applies, just like God the Father consistently applies discipline. And they love their kids more than anybody else. And they show them they love them, Cody, by discipline them. They don't want them to be in jail. They don't want them to have a hard life. They don't want a teenage pregnancy. They don't want, they don't want all of these things that come. They don't want drug addiction. And so what they do is they see that there's a problem coming and they're continually correcting. They're continually making moves. But that's not the way the world wants you to parent. The way the world wants you to parent is hands off. And I see it so often. They want to get them. They beat the brakes off of them when they're little. But then they want to get to a certain point. And well, they got to make their own decisions. They got to make up their own mind. They got to to figure out their own way. Listen, a teenager is not equipped to make up its own mind. If God, hey... If David and Lane Boone had allowed me to make up my own mind when I was 15, 16 years old, I wouldn't be standing here pastoring Concord Baptist Church today. Ain't no telling where I'd be. But you say they love me and they care enough about me. Just like God the Father. They had a desire to discipline me. Why? Because they love me. They love me. 
I remember when I was a teenage kid. I was probably 16, 17 years old. And me and some boys, we told uh, a lie. I told mom and daddy, I said, I'm going to Stephen Hensley's house to spend the night. Stephen's mom and daddy were out west. So I gathered up Stephen and Travis Bagwell and Tracy Silvers and I forget a couple others. And we went to Asheville and watched the late movie. Had no business over there. After we got done watching the late movie, we decided we'd go by, uh, uh, by the college out there at uh, UNC Asheville and see if we could see some college girls. Because you know college girls are always interested in 17-year-old boys. We figured they would be. And we got out there and we got lost. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. We finally found our way back. We're coming by out 19. I'm passing the roller rink. And we passed a, we passed a truck. And we passed that truck, the hair stood up on the back of my neck. There was a disturbance in the force. And I looked at them boys and I said, that was, that's, that was my daddy. And they said, how do you know? I said, I just know. And I turned in right there at Mountain Heritage and turned around and here come that old red truck up the road. <laughs> he pulled in there and I'll not tell you what he said. Very nice. And right there next to the road, we paid the price. But you know why he done that? You see, a parent that don't love you just goes to bed. A parent that don't love says, well, I don't know where they are, but I, pff, ain't nothing I can do about it. The parent that loves gets out and gets in a vehicle and drives down the road. He didn't know where he was going, how he was going to find us. We didn't have no cell phones. wasn't no such thing as a cell phone at that time. All he knew is he's going to ride down the road until he passed our car. All he knew is he had to get out and try. That's love. That's love. You don't let kids go. Listen to me, mamas and dads. We got so many kids running around here this size right here. Some of you feel like you ain't making no impact on their life. Make an impact. We got teenage kids. Make an impact. Make an impact. Cammy, getting ready to go off to college. There's going to be a lot of temptation. Lots of opportunity. Lots of opportunity. Remember your raising. Remember your raising. Listen, at school, you kids, all you kids, remember your raising. But for these little ones, one of these days they're going to be that size. They're going to go off to college. They're going to be out of your, they're going to be out of your grasp. And then all that's going to matter is what you've put into them when they're this size. Now I'm telling you, I'm preaching you the truth. I'm trying to keep you all from having some heartache. Don't follow what the world says. Just turn them loose. And if you really love them, Lord, don't whip them. Look at the mess we're in in America right now by that mentality. I remember when Trey was little, Dr. Court, God bless her, she was a great doctor and I loved her, but me and her did not agree on rearing children. We walked, I walked in that first appointment and she said, Now, Bradley, you know that verse about Sparing the rod was, I said, Dr. Court, I said, mean you're not going to agree on this, so we just well not speak about it. I said, I'm not raising thugs at my house. I'm going to raise a young man that 
is a credit to society. And the only way I know to do that is when he needs it, I'm going to beat the brakes off of him. Because that's how God raises youngins. Discipline, listen to me now, discipline equals love. Love equals free, or love equals discipline, discipline equals freedom. If you're his, God will whip you. Now come all that way to I come all that way to ask you this right here. Are you his? The greatest indicator of whether or not you're born again is whether or not God whips you when you do wrong. Now, unlike God, Daddy whipped everybody that night. But anyway, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You know you're his when he whips you. Now, let me ask you this. And this is really, I think, the thrust of the message. How are you doing with that? When you fall under the chastisement of the Lord, do you run your lip out and pout and cry and pitch a fit like a spoiled brat? Are you ready to give up this morning and get an altar and say, Lord, I just want to be, I want me and you to be on the same page here, Lord. I want you to know I'm, I'm fine with it. You're disciplining me and that means you love me. And I, I've realized that today that your discipline, that your discipline means you love me. And it's, you're trying to give me a place of freedom in my life where I can say, I just want to say, Lord, pour it on. I, I just want to say, me and you're in agreement. Me and you're in agreement. Maybe you're a parent. And you need to get a hold of some children. I told you these are hard truths. These are hard, hard, hard truths. But I'm telling you it's the truth of the Word of God. Let's stand our feet. Father, Lord, we pray today in Jesus' name that you do a work across this congregation. Lord, deal with us as children today. Walk in our direction. We'll thank you and praise you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Some are already moving toward the altar. Others are coming. Preacher, I want to come today. I want to come today.